Thank you, Mary Laura. What a powerful question for us to consider this morning. Would it still be Christmas? I think a follow-up to that question would be, are the preparations that you are making for Christmas contingent upon the Christ child having been born? Meaning this, is there room for Jesus in your Christmas celebrations this year? Oh, I know that there's food to be cooked and things to be baked and presents to be bought and wrapped and there's still plans to be made for travel and all of those things. But have you paused during this season and are you considering the implication of Christ coming to earth? Christmas is far more than an event. It's far more than a feeling and it's certainly more than a season. It is a historical event in which God broke into this world, the king of the universe, in the form of helpless babe. I want to invite your attention today to the book of 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Now I know some of you immediately are saying that's a strange sounding place for a Christmas sermon to be drawn from. As we look at Peter's instruction this morning, I want to continue to challenge you to think about your perspective of Christmas. And I I hope that this unlikely place in Scripture for a Christmas sermon will bring for you a memorable focus for the day. I, I pray that you will look perhaps through a new set of lenses and consider this thought of Christmas. You know, as Mary Laura sang that song, I just flooded my mind with how we look at Christmas. You know, would it really matter if, if Christ did not come? The retailers don't necessarily consider that a, a prime factor. They just want to make sure that people are buying gifts. But if Christ had not been born, would we have reason for those gifts? And, you know, perspective on Christmas is an interesting thing. Some of you, it brings out the very best. Some of you start singing Christmas carols about August. I know that about you. You come in the office and some of you, bah humbug, say, I don't want to hear Christmas carols till after Thanksgiving and I think they could shut them down on the 25th and a half or the 26th at the latest and you've got your tri- you're already making plans to take stuff down. I know that that is some of you. I found a picture that kind of sums up Christmas. Let's, let's take a look at this. There's a wonderful Christmas card picture that was taken. And it just sort of captures the essence of the season for many of you. Oh, joy. <laughs> I want to challenge you once again before we look at our text. We have put together uh, an Advent focus for you. And you can go to our website, hardysbc.net slash 2017advent. And there's a number of Advent devotional guides there. And I, I just want to encourage you. There's one in particular called Simple Christmas that, that I've been studying. Our family's taking a look at it. And I, I want to challenge you to have some times this week of family worship. Have, have some times where you just meditate on the Word of God. And let this week be focused on those things. So that, that's a resource that we wanted to put in your hands. Now, for the last several weeks, we've been considering this topic, pursuing the King. And we've been talking about the kingdom of God. And as we've talked about the idea of pursuing the king, we focused first on how this promised king was given throughout the Old Testament to men like David, men like Isaiah. David, in this Davidic covenant, was promised a throne that would be established and endure forever. And then we spent time a couple of weeks ago thinking about the Magi, these wise men who would come by faith seeking this promised royalty. This king. And today I want us to take a radical turn. I want us to look at our place in this kingdom. 
Uh, it's easy for us to consider the promises that are there and to, to look at their search for the king, these wise men who search. But I want us to consider our own place in this kingdom of God. And so we turn to 2 Peter as he speaks of kingdom matters. 2 Peter chapter 3 beginning in verse 1. The word of God in our hearing. Let's read this together. This is now, beloved, the second letter that I am writing to you. In which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. That you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets. And the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Know this, first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago. And the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded by water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. May we pray together as we contemplate the Word of God. Father, we ask that you would bring to our minds and our understanding clarity about this which you have spoken. I pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate truth to us here today. God, God I'm asking that you would preach, that you would speak, that you would increase, and that we would decrease this day. And God, that we would see a fresh and new perspective of you as the soon and coming King. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And all of God's people together said, I want to invite your focus to your notes for just a moment. There, I gave a bit of an introduction. The king is coming. Jesus Christ has come and will come again. This is the hope of the church whom he purchased with his blood. Jesus' coming is the eager expectation and desire of his people. So as we think about this Christmas season, I pray that you're thinking of it couched against the backdrop of the, the kingdom of God, that God is the king who has come and it will come again. And this expectation is our joy because we treasure him. He is our treasure and greatest good. Now, I, I wrote these words here for you to contemplate. The theme of Advent, which is formed from a Latin word that simply means coming or arrival, it is the traditional celebration of Jesus' first Advent in humility, but his second Advent in glory. You see, we stand between two arrivals, 
And as we contemplate the arrival of Jesus, as we commemorate Him coming the first time, He came in humility. But He will come again in glory. He came before veiled in flesh. He will come again unveiled in unrivaled glory. He came before to one place in lowliness. And He will come in the, the next time He comes with magnification. The whole world will see. The whole world will know. He is the Lord. And we stand in light of those two events and we ask the question as Peter asked the question how should we live what should my life look like today pastor in light of the fact that I know Jesus came in fact no secular historian uh, virtually none would argue with the fact that Jesus Christ was a historical figure that he came we have reoriented our calendar around the birth of Jesus in the year of our Lord AD and Domini. we consider everything to be uh, revolving around that we have focused ourselves on that in history it was either the greatest hoax ever to be portrayed upon mankind and millions upon millions of people have been duped by this promise that he was the son of God or the story is true. And if, in fact, Jesus is who he claims to be and says that he is not just in past tense, but now that he, the risen Savior, is alive, if he claims, if his claims are true, then he is coming. And our expectation should be looking for, anxiously awaiting his second coming in glory. So I said it this way, this season for you and for me is a time of remembering and rejoicing, watching and waiting. Now here's what I want to do as far as framing up Christmas for us today from this text. There are three things that you and I need to do if Christmas is going to be all that it is intended to be. Let's start with the first one. Number one, we need to look back and marvel at the incarnation. We need to look back and marvel at the incarnation of Jesus. Incarnation simply was the time of his indwelling flesh. When Jesus came to earth as a baby, born of a virgin, and lived this sinless life. In that incarnation, we can marvel in that. You know, you and I celebrate this sort of birthday, if you will, of Jesus in December, December 25th. But he has always been. He is co-eternal with the Father. He is the active agent of all of creation. He was there in the beginning. And so the incarnation of God was Him putting on flesh, the Creator putting on creation. And that's why it is called Emmanuel. God. What? Let's say it together. God with us. You see, He has come into our world. We would know nothing of Him except that He had revealed Himself. And the Bible is clear that the, the most profound of all of his speakings to us is the son the writer of Hebrews said that in various ways in various times in the past he spoke through the prophets but now but now he has spoken to us through his son and we marvel at that incarnation that God would reach into our world we marvel at his coming but I don't want us to just look back at the baby Jesus but 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 we must stop there that, that was the, the, the beauty of the coming of Christ was that he was eternal. And because of that, the power that is available to us today is, is uh, immeasurable. But, but I want you to just go back and reflect over and over again with me. As we marvel at the incarnation, we have to look and see. That may be the, the greatest of all of the prophetic events that we have. And it's already come true. 
hundreds of years before prophesied, hundreds of years before promised. In fact, when God declared spiritual warfare in Genesis chapter 3, and he began to place upon that serpent the greatest of all judgment, he said the seed of this woman will crush his head. You see, Jesus was promised long ago. And that promise uh, continued to, to burn in the hearts and smolder in the hearts and at times fan into flame in the hearts of those by the prophets as they heard those words knowing a Messiah is coming, a deliverer will be here. One who God has promised is on his way. And Jesus, the Messiah, came. And we marvel this morning at his incarnation. And as we do... We, we need to understand that that, that is very simply a, a shadow of what is to come. You see, Christmas, for all it is meant to be, really has three tenses, past, present, and future. We look today and say, because Jesus came, what do we have available to us today? As we look back and marvel, we begin now to look around us, and we'll get to that in just a moment, but, but we can go ahead and show it. Look around and experience liberation today and, and, and begin to make life application. You see, Peter wrote these words. He said, this is my second letter to you. It was aptly titled, Second Peter. Wow, wasn't that creative? This is my second letter to you of his very first words. I'm writing to you to stir up your memory, to stir up your mind. I want you to think back. I want you to look back at what the prophet said. I want you to look back at what happened in the life of Jesus, what the apostles taught about Jesus Christ. And for you and for me today, if I were writing uh, words to you, if I was not giving this in a verbal sermon but writing it down, I would say the same thing as Peter. I'm speaking to you this morning to stir up your memory. I want to stir up your memory and get you to consider backwards all that it means that God, Emmanuel, dwelt with us. You see, Peter was calling us back to that, but it was a, 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 only a part of the story because as we look around and then later begin to move forward, think about this. Christmas morning has lots of promise to it, doesn't it? I, I think about the promise that's there. There's a promise of being with family. There's a promise of gathering together with others. There's going to be Christmas cheer. There, there, you're going to get hopefully what you want or some semblance of that. There's going to be this holly jolly moment sometime in the next week or so where the promises of Christmas come true for you. For kids, it's unwrapping presents. For many of us, it's spending time with loved ones. But those are just moments and momentary. They're fleeting. They give way. It's a shadow of something that is coming but is not yet. Here's what I want us to do today that perhaps will give new perspective to this whole notion. I want us to consider the day of all days. I want us to consider a day that is coming. See, Peter said, I'm writing to stir up things from your past. I'm writing to stir up your memory but I'm also calling you to consider your life today, and I'm asking you to look ahead. And as you look ahead, we consider the day of Christ returning. You see, I, I had this discussion just this morning in the hallway. It's easy for you and for me to consider the seven-pound, two-ounce baby boy in the manger. It's easy for us to look into his innocent eyes and say, isn't that sweet? It's easy for us to look at the Christmas cards that show the nativity, and here's mother and father and wise men and sheep and all of this precious scene. But we stop short of looking and considering and contemplating the Jesus that is described in this day. 
You see, Peter is describing a day which will come, a promised day. Just as the arrival of the first order, there will be a second coming. And when Jesus comes this time, well, let me just share with you some words about this arrival. You can stay camped out there, if you will, in Second Peter. But let me turn, uh, if I may, to uh, Revelation. Listen to these words from Revelation 19. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flames of fire, and his, on his head are many diadems. And he comes and has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped with blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with an, a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now I don't know about you, but that's a far cry from the baby in the manger. Jesus, with eyes of fire, a tongue like a sword, with truth will judge the nations. The text itself says that he comes to tread the winepress of the fury and wrath of God. We don't memorize that. That was not, best to my recollection, a life verse for this year, was it not? I mean, we memorize, I know the plans that the Lord has for me, plans to prosper me and give me hope in a future. I know many of you have memorized very, very clearly, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But probably none of you have said, He will tread the winepress of the wrath and fury of God Almighty. That'll bless you, won't it? I mean, I've never seen that on some Hallmark card. I've never seen that on a coffee mug at Lifeway. We don't like to consider the judgment and the wrath of God. Now you say, Pastor, this is the most bizarre thing ever. I come and I bring my family and I want to hear about Christmas. This is about Christmas because Christmas is Jesus. Now, the important part for you and I to understand is that our place in the kingdom is right here and now. And right here and now the invitation stands. And the theme of our, our church ultimately is that we would offer to you today help for today and hope for tomorrow. And in that hope and in that help, we would discover something unique. We would discover that the invitation is this, come, come. For there is grace and mercy at this table. Come, experience the goodness of the Lord. Come and experience the fact that His coming the first time made a way for you and for me to have relationship with God the Father. It made a way for us to be reconciled to Him. It made a way for us to be righteous before God in Christ. He who knew no sin became sin in order that you and I who knew no righteousness could become the righteousness of God in Christ. And yet here we see Jesus, not wrapped in swaddling clothes, but wearing a robe dipped in blood, fire from his eyes, a sword in his mouth, the armies of heaven on white horses behind him, truth, righteousness, power, majesty, glory, honor, 
judgment. All of those things ought to make us fall down on our faces before God. You think about it. He veiled in flesh. The hymn writer wrote it. In fact, let's put that on the screen. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased with us in flesh to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. The wise men came and they saw the Godhead, but they couldn't fully comprehend all because he's wrapped in flesh. He is a helpless, tender baby. Not when he comes again. When he comes again, the veil is lifted. The the veil is removed. I I heard one pastor say it this way. When Jesus shows up, it's not going to be a happenstance sighting. Oh, wait, is that a plane? Is that a bird? Is that a... No. The Bible says that he will step out of heaven. And in this picture that we have seen described in majesty and power and glory, all the radiance of heaven will burst forth. And you and I will be there to see. The fact of the matter is a simple question. Will we meet him today as Savior or then as judge? Because he comes for the purpose of judging. Now, we understand that he is patient. Some of you look at it and, and you yawn at it and you say, well, he hasn't come. I mean, we, we understand from Scripture he is to come quickly. Maybe, just maybe, this text would take us back through a little bit of perspective. And we see that God, who is outside of time, doesn't think of time like you and I do. Some of you are impatiently waiting for the 25th. Some of you are impatiently waiting for the 20th or the 22nd because I know those are the next two days that schools get out. Some of you are saying, I'm counting down the days till I take my last test and I'm done with school and get Christmas break. Some of you are counting down the days till your office closes and you say, I just need a little break. As we consider God counting down the time until the fullness of time, The Bible's clear. He knows the very day, the very hour that he will come. And yet it's not bound by time. You and I are bound by time. The day is is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day in the economy of God. You see, in the economy of God, he, he is not impatient. No, he is not slow in counting in his promise. He is not uh, let up on his promise. His promise is still fully intact and will be fulfilled. Jesus will come back. But you know what we have the opportunity to do today that we will not have to do in heaven? Witness. We will not be able to share the good news, that invitation come to the table in heaven. At that time it's too late for he comes to tread the winepress of the wrath of God. And so for you and for me, over and over again, as we contemplate the grace of God and the goodness of God brought forth to us and shared with us, then we begin to see the opportunities we have today to live for Him and to live with Him. You see, in these days, this little area of time that you and I live in, grace, forgiveness, and mercy, come to the table and partake of the bread of life. I'm reminded of this, that we can't over-preach or over-emphasize the forgiveness of Christ, can we? I've had people say at times, preacher, we we need to go deeper with God. I want to go deeper with God. And and what they said was not exactly what they meant, but if we're not careful, we say, I want to go past the gospel. And I said to a man that I had that conversation with not long ago, I don't ever want to go deeper 
in such a way that I go past the gospel. I want to go deeper into the gospel. I want to go deeper into the love and into the grace and into the forgiveness that God gives to me because I will never exhaust that grace and we cannot over preach it. You, you begin to think about this. Why can we not? Because it really is the very food for the soul of a believer to hear grace, to be reminded that Christ Jesus is our all in all, to, to be reminded of the things that we've heard in song today. Christmas is Jesus. To be reminded that Without him, would it really be Christmas at all? You see, Jesus Christ comes into our broken world. And, and regardless of how your background brings you to this day, regardless of your struggle, regardless of how you limped into this place today, spiritually or physically or otherwise, Jesus Christ is the reason that we have hope. And our ears should never, ever grow dull of hearing of the grace of God. Why? Because we're all still struggling. Christ steps into the world here to judge the world so we look back if we're going to experience the fullness of Christmas we look back and we marvel at the incarnation Peter said I'm just writing to stir up your memory and then we begin to look around and we make life application as we consider all that is around us as we consider the return of Christ Peter even asked the question, how are we to live? What should we consider in light of the fact that Christ will come again? And this second advent will look so radically different than the first. That, that he will come in power. That he will come in majesty. That he will come in splendor. Why do we need to look back and remember? Well, I think it's because we're pretty terrible at remembering. Are you? Anybody? Well, I feel like I'm just alone. Anybody else have trouble with their memory? Some of you forgot to raise your hand. <laughs> twice this week. Twice. I, confessional time. I fussed at my wife and my kids looking for my glasses. And they were right <laughs> there. Where did you put them? I find myself looking for my keys. I find myself looking for all sorts of things. You know the story. You've heard the three sisters. They're all in their 90s. They live together. And one was turning off, of the, off the water in the bathtub. And she stopped and she yelled to her sister who was downstairs and says, Was I getting in the tub or out of the tub? And her sister who was walking up the stairs laughed at her and said, I hope I never get like that. And she said, Now, was I going upstairs or downstairs? And she struggled, and her sister, who was down the stairs, was laughing at both of them. And she said, uh, I hope I never, ever get to be like my sisters. And she began to tell them where they were going and which way she was going toward the tub. And she said, now, was that the front door or the back door? We forget. One commentator shook me with these words in a devotional thought. We forget that God is who He is and we lose our place in the universe when we do. We don't remember that He deserves all of our worship and praise. Stay with me for just a moment. You did not wake up this morning and say, I woke up again, praise His name. 
as you ate breakfast or drank coffee, as you did those things this morning, my guess is your heart wasn't overflowing with God's goodness and grace toward you in making those things available to you. No, you worked for them. You earned them. You bought them. You bought that coffee. You bought that food. You bought that table and that chair and that kitchen and that house. And it is so easy for us to forget. We are not wired that way. You started your car, and when you did, you didn't say, oh, praise God, it started. At some point today, it's probably not going to occur to you until I tell you that it needs to. You're going to stop and say, I'm physically healthy. My heart is beating. My lungs are drawing breath. God has provided to me goodness. And as the day progresses, you find your heart more and more and more self-satisfied, not glad at God's goodness to you. We're wired that way. Our default is not to be thankful. Our default is not to be worshipful. Our default is to drift away from those things. I woke up this morning and, of course, I ate breakfast. And I started my car, and it started fine, and it always does. It's only when it doesn't start that I'm not grateful, but grumbling. But here, we read these words from Peter. I'm writing to you to stir up in your mind memory. You see, there's one story of Scripture, and all of us need to be reminded over and over again that the story of the Bible is redemption. There's not 66 separate stories. There's one story. And Jesus is the hero. And God redeeming mankind from the brokenness of sin and death through the person and work of Jesus Christ is that story. What would it be like if we would remember that today? Because on that day, we'll certainly remember. What is that day going to be like? We'll remember he's been faithful. We'll remember a Messiah that was promised and a Messiah that was given. We'll remember that there was an atoning death when we see him in all of his splendor and radiance and glory and recognize the truth of who he is. Christmas truly is Jesus. Here's where I want us to take this. The third thought is very simple. Look ahead to the culmination of the kingdom and walk in hope and in holiness. If we were to walk through this text, it's critical for us to remember because he says, in the last days, many will come and they will mock. How many of you know we live in a mocking society today? The Christian faith is being mocked. And he says the reason why. He says they mock so that they can go after their own lust. They mock so that they can fulfill their own sinfulness. The reason that mockers mock us is because they don't want to submit themselves to God. And if you think about this with me, the, the heart attitude of the mocker is so skeptical, so cynical. They just say, it, it is a joke. It is a lie. It is not true. It's a fable. It's a fairy tale. It's a myth. And every point they can possibly find to discredit the Word of God, that's their desire. It's happening on college campuses. It's happening in the media. It's at the world at large. Why? Because mockers mock because they do not want to submit to God. Ultimately, you know this, there are only two ways to live, either God's way or your way. And if we live God's way, we live by faith, trusting that He has come and that He's coming again. If we live in a way that is not subject to that, we simply say, we'll go our own way. You make up all of your own rules. And mockers do that, but He says, be sure that you know judgment is coming. Just because they get away with it this hour doesn't mean that they've gotten away with it. And the same thing's true about our sin. Jonathan Edwards, an amazing man of God, 
who sat down and wrote out resolutions for his life, wrote out one of the resolutions, and it was, it was striking to me. He said, I, I don't want to engage in any activity that I would not want to engage in the last hour of my life. Meaning, I don't want to do anything that would be, bring shame to the Lord Jesus. I don't want to do anything that would be in any way offensive to my king. I want to submit myself daily to the king. So as I look forward to the culmination and the judgment that is coming, I want to live my life in such a way that I would honor him. Another great man of God went home to be with the Lord this week. His name was R.C. Sproul. He was a theologian, and while I didn't agree with everything that he said, uh, I, I was shaped greatly in my thinking about the greatness and the magnitude and the sovereignty of God. And, and I'll never forget hearing him in an, uh, a question and answer interview time. Someone asked about the severity of the punishment for sin. He, he, he talked about how God seemed to be there in Genesis so uh, so severe and heavy-handed with Adam and Eve. And, and I'll never forget Sproul's answers. He said, what is wrong with you people? This creature from the dirt tried, attempted to defy the living God, the creator of all. And you would say in some way that he was too harsh? You, you see, the grace of God that is offered in this season ought to spring up within us such overwhelming sense of worship today you ought to fall on your knees and just say oh thank God for the grace and the mercy of Jesus oh thank God for the cross of Calvary oh thank God for the manger of Bethlehem God with us and thank God that when he comes we will meet him as he is in all of his glory in all of his splendor with the name above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father that Jesus is Lord you have the opportunity to meet him today. Come to the table. Trust him and be saved. You know, our days seem to run together. We forget. How many of you remember where you were and what you were doing on the morning of September the 11th? I don't even have to give the year. You know exactly what I'm talking about. There are many of you that were not in the world yet as of then. And it is merely history, a historical story. In fact, we've gotten to the place now where we just tell it. We, we, we come to the day as it rolls around and we go, has it been that many years? As we think about time, our days seem to just flow together. And, and I'll never forget, I was in Slidell, Louisiana, and I was getting ready for work at the seminary in New Orleans, and Stephanie had already gone off to school. She was teaching then. And I heard on the Today Show in the background as I was finishing up getting ready that a plane had hit one of the World Trade Center towers. And I don't know about you, but in my mind, I said, some guy in a single-engine Cessna who's had far too few hours of training has accidentally flown off course and done that or had a stroke and, and, and flown into it. And then I just began to question as I'm brushing my teeth and getting ready to walk out the door. You know, why do they let people fly around a city with all those tall buildings anyway? And it wasn't long before I finished that thought that they began to talk about the severity of this unfolding drama. And then we began to get on cell phones and call and talk to people. And all of a sudden we realized it was a much bigger deal and a much bigger day than we had ever seen. And the entire world seemed to change that day for us, did it not? It stood still. Do you remember the feeling? 
I, I remember the feeling of helplessness and hopelessness and people wanting to just rush into churches and pray and people just starving for some answer or some security and there was no security in those moments. And now we come this many years later and, and the days have sort of flowed together and as the days flow together we've sort of forgotten because the default of our minds and our lives is to forget. Here's where I close. As you and I look back and marvel at the incarnation, as we look around and consider life application today, as we look forward to the culmination of all things, we begin to look back and live in holiness and in hope. Here's what I want to leave you with. God has not forgotten His promise. That day will come just as surely as the first advent came. That day of judgment will be just as sure as these days of grace and mercy and invitation. I'm not preaching fryer and brimstone in any way, shape, form, or fashion. I'm simply telling you the truth. You see, love and wrath go together. I learned wrath early on when I had children. All of the parents that are in this room would say amen to this. You can't fully know love without at least having some taste of the ability to have wrath. You know why? When the doctor put a little red-headed girl named Hannah in my arms, I looked down into her little eyes, and, and I had never really had this thought before, but I stopped myself and said, I would physically kill someone if they tried to hurt this baby girl. Maybe you haven't had that thought, but it was just this overwhelming sense of protection and love because the backside of the sword of God's righteousness and His justice and His love and His truth and His wrath all flow together in such a way that you begin to see that God has such a love for His own glory that He will not be mocked. He will judge all unrighteousness. In fact, He already has. He judged unrighteousness on the cross. And Jesus bore it to Calvary for you and for me. Look back in contemplation and marvel. Look around and make application. How do I need to live? If I look forward for very long, I recognize today I need to live a life of holiness and hope. And you can experience that. We're going to have our encouragers, our prayer partners, part of our staff here in just a moment, and they would be happy to share with you how to have a relationship with God. And uh, we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. I'm going to ask all of our musicians to come forward, and as we begin to sing, I want you to step out from wherever you are and come down this aisle and take one of these encouragers by the hand. They're not going to embarrass you. They're simply going to take you right out this door and right next door. There's just a room right there that they'll share with you that decision. You can hear better in there. You can focus better in there, and you can pray with them. They'll pray with you if you have a prayer request. It's not just about being saved. Perhaps you need to join with this church. If you'd like to unite with the membership of this church we would be happy to share with you how to do that but you come this invitation time is for you let's all stand together I'm praying father we thank you for this day we ask that you would take the words of truth that have been presented and that you would apply them to hearts and people would respond in Jesus name